You're listening to the PMO Strategies Podcast, where PMO leaders become impact drivers. This is episode 78. Hey there, Impact Drivers. Welcome back to the PMO Strategies Podcast. I am your host, Laura Bernard, and today we are continuing our ongoing conversation around PMOs and project management and the COVID-19 pandemic. And today we're talking about specifically project management of this pandemic. And we're going to explore a little bit some of the ways that things maybe could have gone better with a little bit more project management. This episode is sponsored by Tempest Resource. Tempest Resource gives PMOs actionable intelligence, cutting edge analytics, and real-time scenario analysis, all while minimizing the overhead of managing a resource portfolio. Learn more at pmostrategies.com forward slash 78. That's pmostrategies.com forward slash 78. Check out their demo and learn a little bit more about how they can help you make a bigger impact. And to have this conversation, I have with me a special guest today, one of our PMO Impact Summit speakers, Bill Volpe. He is the founder of the Volpe Consortium, an international businessman and former master business analyst at Hewlett Packard the creator of their proprietary project management processes, the publisher of Project Victories, and the developer of a three-day project auditing seminar. He is the author of the best-selling project management book, Guide to Project Management Life Cycles. Bill has worked as a U.S. government contractor under secret clearance and was formerly the PMO manager for the Ministry of Interior of Saudi Arabia. He has traveled and taught all over the world, is now living in South America. Welcome to the show, Bill. Hello, how are you? I am fantastic. We're here in sunny Florida, and you're there in sunny Ecuador, and I think we're yeah, yes, much- feet in the air. <laughs> I know, you showed me a picture out your window, and it's just fantastic with a waterfall. It's yep. gorgeous there. <laughs> so thank you for being here today, and- Thank you for taking the time to talk to us a little bit about your perspective on project management of the COVID-19 pandemic. And I'm so excited to dive in and talk about the details and your perspective and get a little bit of an international perspective as to how things have been handled or maybe could have been handled a little better. So why don't we dive in by talking about your perspective on if lives could have been saved, if things could have been different, if we had a better project management process during this time period, during this global pandemic? I I believe that lives could have been saved, okay? I really do. It was a fairly disjointed effort, okay? There was no, at least as far as I could see, there was no cohesive effort by the world to come together. It could have very easily been seen as a program 
management effort with every country having their own project. And it would have been great to have one concerted effort there and what the approach should be. But some people, uh, some countries didn't feel that it was much of a factor at all. Take Brazil, for example, down here in South America. The president really didn't take it seriously. And now they've got the third largest number of cases in South America because they didn't do anything to try and actually do something with the situation. In fact, many people don't know this, but it actually got to the point where the street gangs in Brazil actually took over and they basically went up and down the street saying, we're going to start beating on you guys unless you uh, abide by an 8 p.m. curfew. So get inside. So the gangs actually instituted a curfew because the president wouldn't do anything. Wow. Now, I did not know that. And I find that very interesting that they felt so compelled to take over (laughs) and instead of causing chaos, they were actually trying to prevent further loss of life. Well, isn't that interesting? So can you share some examples of the different ways that you think project management maybe did play a role or could have played a larger role? I mean, there's obvious issues that we all know about with effects on the economy, the testing process, response times. Can you talk to me about all of those things from a project management perspective and what you've seen? Sure. Well, of course, often with projects, we know that the failures are either in the beginning or in the end. Okay. We don't plan well enough, or when we close out, we want to move on to the next project and we don't do a very good closeout. Okay. So most of our failures can be found in the beginning and the end. And I don't feel like this was any different. We had poor information, so it was a challenge to begin with. And people were responding with knee-jerk reactions. One minute, we didn't know that this was upon us. And the next minute, everybody was like, shut down the world and let's just react as quickly as we can without any real plan. Right. And this was really being made up as we went along and making something up as you go along is never the key to success. Okay. We had poor data. We still have poor data as far as I'm concerned. It's one of the chapters that is going to be in my book. We don't know the percentage of error in the data. There's conspiracy stories left and right that we can't quote to, that we don't know have any real basis in life. And people were just responding with knee-jerk reactions. Was a complete shutdown the right way to go? I actually think Yes, because when you don't know what's going on, sort of like, uh, what do you do when you find yourself in a hole? Stop digging, okay? (laughs) So I think a complete shutdown was the right way to go. Did that, in fact, hurt the economy? Sure, it did, but that becomes a, a moral question. Is it more important to shut down the economy or risk the lives of people? That's a very hard decision, and it really could have used a uh, consolidated effort so that we could have seen something uniform across the world. Right, right. So what are things that you think could have been done differently specifically with respect to project management and where project management played a role? Because I'm sure there were pieces of project management, good project management going on in places. But actually, one of my colleagues suggested to me that a lot of the people that were put in charge of these programs 
had no project or program management experience uh, whatsoever. Yes. And but we're respected as business leaders. So on yep. the one hand, it says, hey, people at the end of the day aren't looking for someone that can project manage this. They're looking for somebody that can lead this. And there's some validity to that. Yes, at the same time, there are definitely places throughout this entire process globally that a little bit of thoughtful project management process could have gone a long way. So sure. what are your thoughts on all of that? I would have liked to have seen a very concerted effort in the United Nations, okay, where people had come together and said, I don't know, America is taking the lead on this, or the WHO is taking the lead on this. And mm -hmm. we are going to join forces in our research and development of the situation. We're going to share information and we're all going to have the same approach instead of people doing everything on their own, okay? From what I see, there was no team effort here. There was absolutely no team effort. And now, as it is on June 4th, we're seeing that maybe the death toll wasn't as bad as mm -hmm. we thought it was. Maybe many people had the virus and they didn't know it but testing was disastrous. We didn't have the information. We didn't have a team approach. And that would have been the very first thing. We've got these international organizations like the UN, but they weren't utilized. It was every country for itself. And there was no team effort whatsoever. And that would be the first part of project management. Let's come together as a team with a unified goal. But they didn't have that. Right. Okay? And because of that, they still don't have any real results. We don't know how it's going to end. Yeah. Are there places that you think at this point in time that people could step in, maybe people that are in roles with some project management experience or people that are participating in these organizations and maybe haven't been tapped on the shoulder? Are there places that you think pro people with project management discipline could engage right now or offer solutions or step up and lead? I believe that there are. The situation here is that identifying professionals in this particular situation, those professionals are being identified as medical professionals. Mm -hmm. and, and while medical professionals are certainly an aspect of what needs to happen here, medical professionals don't necessarily know how to organize and run a project, okay? Mm -hmm. Should they be on the team? Sure, but that's no different than having a software programmer specializing in JavaScript on the team, but it doesn't mean that they're running the team. I think that ultimately, uh, as part of our knee-jerk reaction, we looked at the wrong professionals. Yeah. Uh, no one looked at organization and execution they just kind of threw their hands up in the air and went help, you know, mm -hmm. and shut down the airports, shut down the cruise ships. I mean, I've lost track of data, but for all I know, there's still people floating around on cruise ships out there that aren't even allowed to come home yet. You know, right. so that right. was kind of a, an odd situation in itself. And uh, these outliers are people that aren't even being considered right now. The pandemic itself was a risk 
but was there any real risk management involved? I mean, did we actually have good tests? We had multiple tests. Well, not all of them were the same tests. Some people just were being checked for fever and thrown into quarantine. For all we know, they were hung over that morning, but they're getting chucked into quarantine and hopefully in 14 days they're not sick. It was very poor management from a process standpoint. Yeah. So as you think about what's next, right? As we think about a lot of the people that are listening to this podcast are working in organizations, they're working in government organizations, they're working in businesses, they're working in nonprofits, they're working in organizations that are affected by it, but not necessarily directly in the line of solution around testing and the failures there and responses and that kind of thing. Now, they might, though, be in a situation where they are needing to help their organization figure out how to not just survive, but potentially get back to thriving Mm -hmm. as we start coming out of this, maybe at least phase one of the pandemic. And so back in April, when this stuff was really hitting heavy in the United States, I started doing live uh, webinars and weekly Q&As with my audience, answering the questions that they were having about how to react, respond, and as a PMO and a project leader, not just survive during this time, but really step up and lead and help the business leaders in their organizations make decisions and drive change. And one of the things that I told them back then that I truly believe to my core is that there is no skill set. There is no better role, more experienced role in leading people through change than the role we have in project management. We are the creators of change. We lead and drive change every single day as a matter of habit, of course, of how we live our lives and the work we do. We are experts at this, right? And In many cases, business leaders were not even tapping their PMO leaders or their portfolio managers or their program project managers to help with this, as you're illustrating, right? Wasn't happening in a lot of centers that were directly responding to the pandemic, and it wasn't happening in many organizations that needed to respond in how they were operating their businesses, even if they weren't directly dealing with it, but they were indirectly because they were needing to shut down, they were needing to close their doors, a lot of changes were needed. And I believe those in the project management profession broadly, whether you're a PMO leader, this is not implementation methodology specific. So it doesn't matter if you're talking agile projects or waterfall projects or running a PMO or portfolio, the people that drive change in the project industry, they are the ones that know how to lead people through this process. So there were ways that I was suggesting to them that they could step up and could kind of lead this change in this process. And I shared a lot of that guidance with them. And for those of you listening that want to go back and listen to some of that, all started on the podcast around episode 40. So you can go listen back starting at episode 40 and you'll hear some more ideas on ways that you can do that during any crisis, during any stressful situation, step up and lead, even if your business leaders aren't asking. But my question to you is what suggestions do you have for those that are now finding themselves today needing to support their organizations into a new normal, a new next, a new, whatever uh, we want to yeah, call it. New normal. Yeah. yeah. What do we, whatever you want to call it, the next phase, 
There's sure. two, it's a two-part question. It's one, what do they do now to help their organizations maybe get to this new normal place? And two, what things can project managers do and lead and maybe use this situation as an example to point to and say, this is why we need to be more prepared. This is why we need to put resources towards risk management and those kinds of things. Well, I see many aspects of this. For example, when I was at Hewlett Packard, they sent me to contracting for project managers. They wanted me mm-hmm. to learn law and privity of contract and things of this nature and stuff too. And I see a potentially disastrous situation with restarting if you don't have proper policies in place in, in a country that has generated a reputation for being too happy, like America. We get someone who spills a cup of coffee on herself and sues McDonald's for a million dollars, right? I mean, if you're just taking someone's temperature at work and you say, oh, you got Corona, you're going home, okay? Yeah. Well, maybe you spend two weeks trying to uh, get tested and they realize, oh, you weren't sick, okay? And it's like, now that you have a doctor's note, you can go back to work. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can certainly see someone suing, saying, you cost me two weeks of work and there was nothing wrong with me, okay? Mm. Or for that matter, I can see the other side of it too, where you didn't identify someone who was sick at work So you didn't give me a safe work environment and my father died. Okay. So there's legal ramifications of this. There's production ramifications of this. There are issues of many companies run very lean. Bars and restaurants are a very good example. Most bars and restaurants only make five to 10 points in profit. They can't afford being closed any more than a couple of months. And they're going to go bankrupt is going to be lasting effects. And so certainly any restart is not going to be some kind of V-shaped curve where you just roll out there and turn back on the system and bam, you're going back to work tomorrow. It's not going to happen that way. And then we've got the other aspect where people have learned that they can be more productive at home. And they're like, yeah. well, I don't want to go back to work. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want all those distractions. Right. Yeah, and, right. And that's for real. I've seen a lot of businesses have announced, big companies have announced that things like, hey, when we can go back to the office, we're actually going to only have office space for about 15% of you. A global organization I know is doing that. Another one said, when we go back to the office, you don't have to come back if you don't want to. I think there's a lot of people that were in leadership roles that were change resistant to the concept, feeling like they had to control everybody. But then when they were forced quickly to learn how to work remotely, they found, oh, wow, look at that. We're actually getting more productive than as opposed to less productive. And some of that is probably because a lot of those people, and I know all of you impact drivers listening because you're such hardworking, hard driving people are probably adding extra time to their workday because they're adding those commuting hours and those kinds of things. You do have to be careful about that. At the same time, you have a little bit more control over the distractions. Not a lot in some cases, because we've got a million ways with Slack and the teams and all the chatting things and all the ways to texting and reaching people. 
but some people are able to ease more easily turn those things off and actually be more productive. So you have a very important point there. And I've seen a lot of project managers and PMO leaders that have had to learn how to engage their teams differently and how to engage their workforce differently to keep them focused and keep them motivated and keep them moving. And I think they are some of the unsung heroes that are the reason that a lot of the productivity has actually increased. Now, I know a lot of it's less distractions, but I know there's unsung heroes out there. In fact, I've talked to many of them that were early and often seeking guidance. And we put some stuff together in podcasts. I shared some ideas. I had Eric Means, one of my clients from CDW, share some ideas. And all of it was, this is how to make this successful. And I'm so proud of all of you impact drivers out there that asked, how can we support our teams and keep everyone motivated moving forward? So there's some unsung heroes in all all of this. Without a doubt. I actually created an online poker club here and did a group on Skype. That way everyone could jump on Skype and we were all in our different locations in in this city. Actually, it was two cities. And we could get together at night and play poker, but people stayed together. But anything that you can do from a team building standpoint like that, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, Bill, one thing I do want to share is how some of the folks in our community have responded really, really well to this. For example, Andrea Sorelli is one of my Impact Engine PMO coaching students, and she was on a podcast just before this one. And she was talking about how her PMO and she had not just earned, but kept her seat at the table during this crisis. Now she works in a healthcare system and she was absolutely tapped on the shoulder when all of this pandemic started. This is obviously healthcare. It was in the direct line of fire with all of this and she and then the project manager that she supported put a testing center up and running in three days oh that's great and that normally in their normal process and the way they would normally operate is something that would have taken weeks or months to get into place but because she's truly an impact driver because she has a fantastic team that appreciates and respects and values project management and the discipline of being able to lead people through change quickly, they were able to make something that seemed impossible before this pandemic happen. And that is just one of the many examples of my Impact Engine PMO group coaching students who I've been telling for a long time, some of them years, listen, Trust me, if you do this, you will get your seat at the table. If you follow this process, you will be tapped. You will be seen as a thought leader. You will be seen as a leader in your organization. You will be seen as a strategic business partner so that not just in times of crisis, but certainly in times of crisis, your business leaders invite you into the conversations to help drive the organization forward and help them accelerate the impact that they need to make. And story after story after story, Bill, I was holding back tears in our coaching sessions, just so proud of hearing (laughs) how well these students were doing. And I just want to give them a little shout out because 
those that maybe had been struggling to get kind of, you know, the attention of their business leaders all of a sudden because of their hard work and investment and following the process that I teach them, we're seeing results. And it just kept happening again and again and again. And I just am so proud if you, all of my Impact Engine PMO group coaching students that are listening, know that I'm thinking about you and proud of you. And I'm going to get all teary again because <laughs> I'm just so, it, because it works, right? We know it works. And we, and sure. I truly believe not just in our process, you can't just hear the process. You can't just learn it. You have to take action. You have to apply it. And through their hard work and proving themselves, they did just that. So there are many, many heroes and some unsung heroes in this whole process that we have been able to make a big impact in a very difficult time. And so my last question to you is about taking action and your advice, your guidance on what's next and how these impact drivers that are listening can support their organizations moving forward, moving beyond maybe at least this phase one. We don't know if there's going to be another, at the time of this recording, we don't know if there's going to be another big surge in cases and what the impact of that will be even as we start to see the numbers rise, does that mean we shut down again? What is the effect on the economy? There's a lot of still unanswered questions coming over the coming months. At the same time, I do believe, and I'm sure you do, that there are things that all of these impact drivers can do to support their organizations, to step up and lead, and to maybe help their organizations be more prepared in the future. Can you share some last thoughts on that? Sure. Well, I mean, this really comes down to guiding organizational change, right? The first thing that we have to do is realize that life has changed. We have another obstacle. When it came to a pandemic, for many of us, this happened to be one of the unknown unknowns that we were not anticipating. Okay. And now we have to respond to it. It was more devastating for some businesses than others, but uh, we certainly have to respond to it now. We can't bury our heads in the sand and say that is just going to go away. We've seen results of some countries doing that, and some have fared better than others, but others have not. So we certainly have to look at what the new future is, what the new processes are, and how we ramp back up. Maybe it is safety by remote work. Right. Maybe it is this social distancing concept. I mean, for all I know, maybe they're going to be doing concerts on Netflix now rather than getting in tour buses and airplanes and flying around the country. We could possibly see a lot of differences and they're going to all have to be handled at the individual level. But the first thing to do is, of course, to acknowledge that things have changed, not just guide the organization through the change, meaning the business organization, but also realize that the people themselves are going to be going through a change process. And so that's going to require education. It's going to require understanding. People are resistant to change. Change is difficult. And there was a very interesting study that George Washington University did many, 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 many years ago. And they they took some rather tragic things in life, like divorce and death of a loved one and things of this nature. And they found that the normal, for lack of better terms, person took about 18 months to go through this transition process of denial and acceptance and everything else. 
Right. But the professional project managers did it in 12 to 16 weeks. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, so there's something you said there that I just want to pause on because it's a big sticking point for me. I don't believe people are resistant to change. I believe people are resistant to having change done to them. Oh, well, that's and, very true. Yes. And the reason I say that is because I happen to know some people that have gotten married. Uh-huh. <laughs> Period. <laughs> they did that Change to themselves. To you, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. In some cases, that might be change done to you, but in many cases, it was at least at the time something you wanted to do and chose to do. And also, yeah. by the way, I know some people that have actually intentionally had children too. Sure. Also, a huge sure. change, right? So <laughs> I'm making light of it, but the tr- truth is, I truly believe people just want to be in control of the change, right? Oh yeah. And and yeah. and that, and if if they're in control of the change, and it's a change that they desire, then often there's no resistance. And I think part of the challenge is is that many times we are doing changes to people instead of with them. And you are right. right. In those divorce scenarios, what you see often, and this is just anecdotal, but I'm sure there's data to back this up. The person wanting the divorce seems to get past it much faster than the person that didn't want. Oh, sure. They've already kind of made the mental transition, right? Exactly. They wanted the right. change. They're the change driver, right? Right, so, right? And I know we're using that as an example, just to have a little fun with it. But really, it's true. If you think about, and a lot of times as project managers and project leaders, we forget that we want the change because it's our baby, it's our project, and we know how beneficial it's going to be and everything's going to be wonderful and sunshine sure. and flowers and all this happens. And the people that we're doing it to don't necessarily, they haven't seen that light. So right. it's our jobs to kind of bring them through that change. And well, that's the education process, right? Include them in it if you can, okay? Right. As much as possible, include them in it so right. that they feel like it's partly their decision. They're, right. they're going through this together and they understand why something is happening. Yeah, exactly. Well, with that, Bill, I just want to say thank you so much for taking your time to share your perspectives from a little bit different part of the world, your perspective yes. <laughs> of what's what's been going on with this pandemic, how project management could have saved lives during this process, and things that our impact drivers listening could actually do right now in their organizations that maybe aren't so directly affected to think a little bit differently about their role in leading people through that change. And for all of you impact drivers listening, if you want even more guidance and suggestions, I suggest you start back at episode 40 and work your way forward. And over the last many weeks and next several weeks, we are continuing conversations about ways that you can help lead change in your organization, no matter your role, so that we can all learn from the experiences we've had this year, grow from them, and make an even bigger impact going forward. And don't forget, this episode is sponsored by Tempest Resource. Tempest Resource gives PMOs actionable intelligence, cutting-edge analytics, and real-time scenario analysis, all while minimizing the overhead of managing a resource portfolio. You can learn more and check out their demo at pmostrategies.com forward slash 78. That's pmostrategies.com forward slash 78. Check them out today. 
Bill, thank you so much for being here today. Happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you all of you impact drivers for your time today and bye-bye for now.